Several weeks ago, I began a a series on being prepared. And as a pastor, in the times that we live in, there's nothing that's, that's on my heart more than knowing that every single one of our church family is is ready for what's going on in our world today. There's no doubt that we're living in unprecedented times when very crazy and strange things are going on. Many ungodly things are going on. And so we need, like Noah, to be prepared. And he prepared an ark. Let's look at the verse. Look at verse 7 in Hebrews chapter 11. We're just going to read this one verse and then we're going to go to Genesis chapter 6. By faith, Noah, notice it started out, Noah was a man of faith. He had faith and trust in God, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. God warned him that there was going to come a flood. There had never been a flood. There had never been rain. That's why it says things not yet seen. The world at that time was different. Scripture says that there were were waters in the heavens, in the upper atmosphere, that would have made the world uh, more like a a greenhouse effect. We see this from ancient uh, archaeological digs, and we see uh, the plants and things that, that were still like some of the plants we had today, but they were huge. They grew enormous. And it talks about the water that was underneath and the deeps of the earth being unleashed. So it changed the world. But what I want us to see here, if you don't receive anything else today, listen to this. The point of Noah, the main point that we need to grasp today is the fact that because of his faith in God, He believed God, he trusted God, he knew God's nature, and he trusted the Word of God. And because of that, the things that were going on in the world, the flood that came, didn't overwhelm him, but he prepared an ark like God told him to, and his household was saved. And church, we need to prepare an ark. I'm not talking about physically. I'm not talking about another great flood. God promised us there wasn't going to be another worldwide flood. But what I'm talking about is just like he listened to God and trusted the word of God and prepared for what was coming, we need to prepare. We need to be obedient to God. We need to trust God. For the saving of our household. Let's look at the rest of the verse. He moved with godly fear. I want to talk a little bit more about that later. What does that really mean? And then it says, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. By which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household. And the world that was evil, the world that was against God, that didn't want to have anything to do with God, it was destroyed. That world was destroyed. The life that he lived shined on the rest of the world, showing the corruption and the evil in the world. And God destroyed the rest of the world, 
But because of his faith, he was accounted righteous before God. Church, you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. Amen? It's not what we do, but it doesn't mean that we don't do good things, that we don't be obedient to God. We do those things out of a love for God because he has saved us because of his grace and our faith, our trust and belief in receiving that. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that today? As we look at this, the, what I want us to see is the, the phrase, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Now, in the King James, it just says the saving of his house. In other versions, I think most of them use household. But what I want us to understand is, what is that really talking about? What is our household in a biblical sense? Because we know certainly it wasn't his dwelling place necessarily because his dwelling place was washed away in the flood. Is it talking just about Noah and his immediate family? Is it talking about a, a nuclear family we would call it today? Well, I think we need to understand that, don't we? Because that would kind of leave people out. So the first thing I want us to know as we look at this passage is what is exactly encompassed in a spiritual household? Um, our household has changed through the years. There were uh, times when we had all three kids at home. Then our kids grew up and they moved away. Then they had kids of their own. Then they moved back in. So what does God mean by this? Well, what, what, if, what, if, what if I'm widowed and I'm all alone? Or what if, what if I've gone through a divorce? Am I still a household? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. This isn't just speaking about the perfect little nuclear family. It's talking about every one of our household. Whether you're single and you've never been married and, and you have a home of your own, that is, it's speaking to you. You are that household. Or whether it's like us and, and uh, we have our daughter and then grandkids in the house and the grandparents there, we're still a household according to Scripture. So all of that is included. So I want you to, as we start today, turn to somebody and tell them it includes you. Because it does. Now the second thing, a household can be a congregation. We're a household of faith. Amen? And as the father of this household, so to speak, I want to see everyone in this household, I want to see them blessed on fire for God, living for Him, passionate, knowing the Lord, and fulfilling the plan and the purpose that God has for their life. And I want part of that includes preparing for the times that we live in. When I talk about a congregation being our family or household of God, the Bible tells us that it's important. Now, there's been a huge transition in the church in the last two years because of COVID. We started having online services for a while. That's all we could do. All of a sudden, I realized I'm not cut out to be a TV evangelist. 
But all the pastors were forced, even, even pastors with tiny churches, with 10 or 12 people, all of a sudden they had their iPhone and had Facebook and went live and were preaching. Why? Because they love their, their family and they want to be with them. And I thank God for that. God has done a tremendous miracle just in the last couple of months because a pastor that I know in Pakistan named Adnan Samuel, he, he contacted me one day and he said, Pastor, he said, we have a, a satellite TV program called Abundant Life TV and it reaches a hundred nations in Europe, all of Africa, and, and Asia. And he said, we need good content. And he asked if he could show our Sunday morning services. And I said, well, sure. Why not? So he started going through and he would pick out messages that stirred his heart and he started showing them. And all of a sudden, these people from different parts of the world in, in Africa and Europe and Asia, some countries where the gospel is, is forbidden, but they can get the satellite TV. And so they're playing those and we're receiving comments where God is using those to touch people. And we never dreamed about that. So I thank God for satellite TV. I thank God for the internet. I thank God for Facebook Live that we can go online and all these different things. But church, what I want us to understand is there is a spiritual dynamic that takes place when God's people come together and begin to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's a dynamic that doesn't happen quite the same when you're watching online. So I know that there are people that since COVID, they still watch faithfully online. And I, I'm thankful that they're part of the church. But listen to what scripture says in Hebrews chapter 10, just one, one uh, chapter back from where we started. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 and 25, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Aren't you glad God's faithful? Verse 24 says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Why do we want to go to church? There's times we don't feel like it. There's times we, don't, we want to you know, just sit on the couch in our PJs and tune in on the satellite, right? Or whatever we're watching. But God says, let me, listen, let me read that again. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. All of us should have a desire to come to church. It's not just about us. It's not just about getting our worship groove on. It's not just about saying, Lord, I, I, I just want to be with your people. There's more to it. It stirs up the good works in one another and it stirs up the love of Jesus Christ in us. So when we come together, church, there is a spiritual dynamic according to the Word of God that God stirs up His love in us through one another and stirs up good works through one another. 
So we need to understand that. Now listen to verse 25. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some. So it was an issue, even in the New Testament church, that some people were beginning to just stay at home. Then it goes on. As is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. We come together to exhort, to encourage one another. And then listen to how he ends this verse. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The closer we get to the return of Jesus Christ, that's what that phrase means, the more important it is for the church to come together as family. And church, I know multitudes of people that will tell you they're closer to their church family than their real family siblings or their real family and I'm not advocating for that I'm just saying that's a fact with a lot of people the closer we get to the return of the Lord we're going to need his love stirred up and the good works of Jesus stirred up in our life and we're going to need to come and encourage one another and say Church, everything's going to be all right. God's still on the throne. He's in control. He knew what was going to happen, and he's got the answer for us. The third way that household is looked in Scripture, it, it does speak of where you live. Some of us may live in an apartment. Some of us may live rent out a room. Some of us may live in a large house, two-story, single. It doesn't matter. Whatever that, is, that you live in is part of, of your household. But listen, it also includes the paraphernalia, the accessories, what you decorate your home with. And that's important. I had a pastor friend give a testimony uh, several years ago that he was traveling to foreign countries and he found a beautiful tapestry. In this beautiful tapestry, he, he bought it and they rolled it up and he brought it home with him and he uh, took it out and he put it up on his wall and all of a sudden, there was confusion in his home. The kids were fighting and weren't happy and there was a lot of things going on and he started praying, Lord, what is going on? And the Lord showed him. He said, there's spiritual connections to that tapestry that you don't understand. And you need to throw it out. And he did. So church, what I'm saying is that we need to be careful about what we decorate with. But it doesn't just include decorations. It also includes uh, we can allow things into our homes in other ways. What are we watching? What are we listening to? What are we reading? What magazines? We can allow the, the spirit of the world to come into our home and to bring confusion, to hinder what God wants to do in our lives. The fourth thing, household, it has to do with our style, our attitudes, our mentality, our motivation, how we operate, how we dress. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it tells us to dress modestly. And I, I have people say, well, pastor, are you going to tell us what we can and can't do? No. That's legalism. But I am going to tell you, read God's Word and let the Spirit of God guide you in every area of your life. Amen? Every area of our lives. 
The fifth thing, and most important, is the, the spiritual aspect. And it includes everything for which we're responsible. It can, would include our business. It would include our, our influence in the lives of family and friends. It would include our influence in the lives of relatives, our resources and how we handle them, and even our own body. All these things would include our household. And Noah's house, we know, was washed away. So it was referring to his family and all of these other things that are contained in Scripture. Notice that Noah successfully navigated... The high tide that was the result of evil in his world. Because of his faith in God, Noah wasn't swept away. And the force of what was going on in the world at that time around him didn't overtake his family. How many want to be like Noah? Amen. One other thing we need to make sure in verse 7 it says, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, seen, moved with godly fear. Is that saying that he was a coward? No, it's not talking about him being afraid of what's going to happen. It's talking about reverence and his understanding. He had faith in the nature of God. He had faith in the Word of God. Amen? So he wasn't a coward. He wasn't hiding. He took a lot of mocking. He took a lot of ridicule as he built that ship over a hundred years. And he was a preacher of righteousness. And the people were mocking him and ridiculing him. There had never been rain. There had never been a flood. What are you talking about? You're crazy. You're nuts. But yet he trusted God. He trusted God. He didn't trust his word. He wasn't a coward. He was respectful of God and understood that he could trust God and what God was teaching him. Let's look at Genesis chapter 6 right quick. Now, there's four chapters that take up the, the story of Noah. And we don't have time to look at all of them today. But I do want to look at just a few verses in the beginning of the story of Noah. So let's look at verse 1 in Genesis chapter 6. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh. Let his days, yet his days shall be 120 years. Now there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now that is a key to understanding the rest of the passage that we just read. Now, I'm not going to do an expository teaching on all this passage. We don't have time for that this morning. And there's different, this is a difficult passage to understand in the original language. But what, what I do want you to see is the fact that man was forgetting God, going away from God, resisting God, and that they were growing more and more evil. And then what does it say in verse 5? Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth 
and that every intent of his thoughts, of his heart, was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the story of Noah is not a Hebrew fairy tale. It doesn't start off in a land far, far ago. In a land far, far away a long time ago. Right? Now some people will try to explain it away. But not only, church, listen to this. Not only is it history and Jesus and the other disciples, all, all of them speak of Genesis, the first several chapters, as being literal. But it is also prophecy. Listen to this. Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 37 said, But as the days of Noah were, they had just asked him about the end times, and he is commenting on end time events, what it's going to be like. He says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So he's prophesying that all of these things that Noah experienced, all the evil, all the corruption, and the catastrophe that they went through, all of those type things are going to be end time things. And I'm not preaching this to get you to be fearful in any way. I am preaching this because Jesus did. And he was preparing them. And he wanted them to understand what it's going to be like so that we can in turn be like Noah, be men and women of God, men and women of faith, men and women who trust the Word of God. We know the nature of God. And that we're going to build an ark for our families. And when the flood of evil comes, we're not going to be swept away. Amen. He says, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they They did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. They were just living life. They were going for the gusto. The good life. Marrying and then giving in marriage and then drinking and eating. and, And it took them by surprise. Even though Noah was a preacher of righteousness, he was telling them what God had said and they didn't want to hear it. Church, we're, we're seeing that in our time. People don't want to hear about God. They don't want to think about any, any structure of God's morality in their lives. And we see that we're also experiencing cataclysmic time in in history ourselves. And it says here that the thoughts of men's hearts were continually evil. That's not a good thought, is it? That means we're going to be bombarded with those thoughts. It's going to permeate our culture. And our culture is going to want us to assimilate into what their propaganda is. What their thought on life is. And it's continually evil. 
Church, that's why I want us to be prepared. I'm not preaching this today to have you jump up and shout hallelujah. But I'm preaching this so that our church family will be prepared and be the overcomers that God's called us to be. Amen. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, look at that passage, or look at 1 again. What does 1 say? It tells us there's going to be a population explosion, or there was a population explosion in that day. Why is that important? During that time, all of a sudden, there were people, uh, families growing and growing and growing. There's something that takes place when, when there's a population explosion. Humanity begins to devalue life. We devalue how precious life is. We see that in our day. Well, I'm I'm sure everyone has seen on TV about the justices and the leak and and that they're possibly going to overturn Roe versus Wade. It's still going to be a battle even if they do. It's going to be a battle as long as we live. Why? Because the world doesn't view the value of every single child. But God does. Their their understanding of identity and who they are is warped. They just say, look at it. There's millions of people in this world. Billions of people in this world. I don't matter. I'm nothing. And, And if somebody else... Their life isn't really being fruitful for for all of humanity, then yeah, we ought to just get rid of them. If a child's coming along and it's a bad time for me, then let's just abort that child because it's not convenient for me. And that comes because people don't understand who they are in Christ Jesus. And I want you to know, church, you are precious in the sight of the Lord. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And He wants to work through your life and manifest His glory in your life and through your life to touch the world. God has a plan for you. So you're valuable. Turn to somebody today and tell them you're valuable. In verse 5 of Genesis 6, Scripture says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. That's hard for us to grasp that every thought of a person could be continually perverse, evil. The church, we're seeing that take place in our day. Through double entendres, you go to a, a movie or on, on a, a TV or you see, in fact, even in children's uh, cartoon movies today, they'll say something that on the surface is totally innocent, but it has another evil meaning that adults understand. And it's suggestive or perversive. And that's what it's talking about. Where the, that, that will constantly be in the mind of the people around us. So what are we supposed to do, church? What did Noah do? 
He built an ark for his family and he continued to preach the righteousness of God. Amen? Because there are going to be some that are going to say yes to Jesus in the last days. Amen? He, the Bible says that he's long-suffering and that's why he's long-suffering because there are still those that are going to give their heart to him. Look at verse 11 and 12. It says that there's a corruption of the social and family values. Look at verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Verse 13. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Church, things are going to get more violent. You say, Pastor, this message is a real downer. No, it's not. We serve the God that knows exactly what's going to happen in the future. And if we listen to him like Noah, we can build an ark for our family and be prepared. And while all hell's breaking loose, loose below us, we're going to float in that ark of Jesus. We see, I could go on and on, but I'm going to try to hurry. In Matthew 24, in verse 38 again, referring to the prophecy, it says, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. The idea there is that they weren't just getting married, there were those that were shacking up together. And we may not realize this, church, but it wasn't too many years ago that most of the states in the United States literally had laws on their books against immorality. They did. But there has been such a change in the moral shift of our culture, in our society, in our nation, that now we're being bombarded, we're being ridiculed if we think righteous things. Amen? And so church, we need to prepare our children because they're going to be bombarded with these things. But God chose for them to be born during this time and He knows He can trust them, they're going to be okay, but we need to prepare them. Amen? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm about through. There's a couple more verses. Look at... Uh, well, verse 2 through 4 again in Genesis 6, there's another point I want us to see. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came to the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were men of old, men of renown. Now, there's various different interpretations of this. Um, one interpretation that it, the sons of God was fallen angels, that angels came and ungodly uh, took wives that were human. That's one, one theory. Another theory is that the sons of God were influenced by demons and so they became against God and, and demons were in their lives and and that demons were producing with these, these men that were demon-possessed were producing uh, families with these women. 
But the point I want us to see, we're not getting into all that today, but what I want us to see is in this passage that we need to understand the satanic involvement in the world. Church, Satan is real. Jesus talked about him. (laughs) He talked about angels that chose to follow him and we call them demons. And that we live in a world. Now we're not to be afraid of them, but we're to be aware of them. Are you with me? Because greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. So I'm not going to fear Satan and I'm not going to fear the demons and I'm not going to fear what they're going to be doing in the lives of people in the last days because I know that our God is greater. And I've prayed for people. I've prayed for many people that were bound up with something in their lives. I've prayed for many men that were struggling with pornography and had struggled for years with pornography. And I just came and they came to me and said, Pastor, I want prayer. And we prayed and we believed God and God broke that hold off of their lives. How many still believe God is a miracle worker? Amen? God is still a miracle worker. So we need to receive that. We need to understand that. And in fact, talking of of miracles, I'm going to give you, how many like testimonies of God's miracle power? It encourages us, right? Amen. Well, um, Angie, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. Huh? You will? Oh, she's going to be brave. Hand me a mic. She's got a good testimony of God healing her last Sunday. Well, I had a back injury for 10 days. I had lifted something that was way too heavy for me. And usually it it starts to go away, but it was not going away. It was so hurtful. I was in pain all night, couldn't roll over. And I just kept putting up with it. I was praying against it, but it wouldn't go away. Well, last Sunday I was sitting out there and we had the altar call. And I felt, oh, you need to go, you need to go forward. God will heal you if you go forward. But I didn't listen. So I went out in the foyer, and that voice just got so strong. And I'm just, I gave my purse to my husband. I said, I'm going forward for prayer. So I came forward, and um, two wonderful ladies prayed over me. And when I got home, I just felt, I felt this, this peace over me. I felt like it released and my back was just completely, it just began to feel better. Just every day, every hour, it was getting better. And so I'm completely better right now. And I'm so excited because I love to hike. So I was worried. I was like, am I just going to spend this whole summer not being able to get out and hike? Because my back is not getting better. But it, it is completely better now. And so tomorrow I'm going on a hike with a backpack. <laughs> It was a a complete healing, and I just want to give God all the praise and glory for it. Amen. Amen. (laughs) I want to give you another testimony. Um, I mentioned that last Sunday I was in Wrangell at at a church that Melinda and I pastored for seven years when we first came to Alaska shortly after that. And we, we... 
pastored for seven years. We loved the people there. I was there because one of the men had passed away and I did his funeral last Saturday. But they asked me to speak on Sunday and, and I had a wonderful time seeing old friends. And God reminded me of something because one of the ladies got on Facebook and she was commenting about something that I had forgotten. She said, I was having epileptic seizures and I went to the doctors and several different doctors and they did all the tests and they said, I'm sorry, but there's nothing we can do about these type of epileptic seizures. You're just going to have to live with them the rest of your life. And she, she came to me and she asked me to pray for her and to agree with her in prayer that God would heal her of these incurable seizures. And she said, after Pastor Milt prayed with me, she said, I've never had another epileptic seizure. It's been 20 years and God healed her. In church, God's going to do miraculous things in the last days. He's promised to pour His Spirit out on all flesh. That means anyone who welcomes his, his presence and His power and His glory is going to experience it. And I want to close with this. We're almost through. In verse 13 and 14 of Genesis 6, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Notice the Lord told them, or told Noah, to make an ark. Now, this is something that is practical. So, everything that God does isn't just spiritual. Church, listen to this. He will prepare us in practical ways for whatever we face. Are you with me? Because I'm not, I, I believe in, in preparing spiritually and all the things we've been talking about our household is building a spiritual ark. It's having an ark where, where our children and our grandchildren, those around us, those we mentor, those we have influence in, they know that we're sold out to Jesus Christ. That we're mighty men and women of God. We're not ashamed of Him. Amen? And, but in these last days, if God speaks to you practically to do things, because people come and they ask me all the time. They say, Pastor, uh, what do you think I should do? The crazy things that are going on in the world today. Going on in our, our, own, our, our own country even. And I say, ask God and He'll tell you. Because I think he's going to tell people different things and how to prepare so that our family is totally prepared and when one lacks something, someone else can help meet that need. Are you with me? One of the things we ought to try to do is get out of debt. Amen? Pastor Todd, are you still here? Can, you, can I get a good Amen. And that's not easy for us to do, but try to get out of debt. 
Another thing we can do is to have some extra food. We live in Alaska. There are earthquakes here once in a while. We don't know what would happen if, if the supply lines broke for a while and they couldn't get food to us. So be practical. Ask God how you can prepare. What happens if you lose your electricity? What happens if your, your heat source goes out? Do you have an alternative heat source? Those things are practical, and people ask me about that. And my answer is, ask Jesus. He knows exactly how you need to prepare. Amen? But prepare practically when God tells you to do something. Amen? So God told him to build an ark. He told him to do what he needed to do. And Noah is a person that was not shaped by the world, but he rode above it. I love that. Let your influence, your resources, your lifestyle, your home, everything in your life reflect Jesus Christ. Because our text says things not yet seen. There's things that we're going to face that we've never faced. How many have ever gone through a pandemic before the last two years? Most of us haven't. Right? But church, most of all, I want you to know you don't need to live in fear. The only fear Noah had was awe and respect for the greatness of God. He trusted the nature of God. He knew God loved him, cared about him. God was for him. God made promises. His word was true. And he could trust in the word of God. So church, that's the example we want in these last days. Amen. Will you stand with me? And Mitch, would you come with the worship team? How many want to join me and prepare an ark? Amen. Wednesday night, we did something that was fun. After I got through preaching on Wednesday night, I had everyone that was here begin to pray. How many realize we've got a lot of new chairs? Amen. We've, we've got over a hundred new chairs just on the floor area. And then we took the old chairs and we put them in the balcony. So we, we can seat probably 800, 900 people now. In church, one of the things I believe God's going to do in the last days, he's gonna, He said, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. He also talked about whoever... So turn to the Lord, seek Him, and the last days shall be, shall be saved. Right? I believe that God's going to fill the church because people need a household of faith. They need Jesus. So I'm going to invite the prayer team to come, and if you have a need today, just like Angie last week, we want to pray for you, whatever your need is. Some will come to the front and some will come across the back. But I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you today. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I just thank you for this church family. I thank you for everyone that's here today. And Lord, I thank you that just like Noah, that we can build an ark of protection for our family. Lord, 
I want to build an ark is the father of this household of faith. I want our church to be an ark where people can come and they know they're safe. They know they're loved. They know they're cared about. They know that it's not about a clique. It's about a family that loves one another. And Lord, I just pray that you would begin to draw new people. And I'm not talking about people from other churches. But Lord, I pray that you would fill these chairs with people that don't know Jesus. I pray that there would be a a boldness in our hearts and lives to reach out and to invite people to come. Lord, that we would share what you've done in our lives. And Lord, that we would make a difference in the lives of others. Lord, I pray that our children would grow and be mighty in the things of God, just like Noah. They would be men and women of faith. Lord, they wouldn't worry about what's going on in the culture, in the society, no matter how violent it gets, no matter how evil it gets. But Lord, they would realize they're in that ark of God. They're living for you. They're fulfilling your plan and your purpose for their lives. They're living in the victory of Jesus. They're living in the abundant life that you promised us, Lord. So Lord, we bless our children today. We bless our families today. And Lord, we ask you, Lord, to just speak to us and to help us in every way. Be prepared for whatever comes. Because nothing's going to take you by surprise. Nothing. Lord, you will prepare your children. Lord, I just bless them today. I bless them, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you have a need and you want to come, find one of our prayer team members today and they'd love to pray for you. Mitch is going to lead us in a course. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to connecting with you next time. And don't forget, you can support us by giving through the Church Center app or by going online at summitwc.com give.